joining us on IEB There, and now your host, Brad Behrens. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to IEB There, which you can also pronounce IAB There. It's the show where the name of the show is also a command and a dad joke all at the same time. I'm Brad Behrens. I'm the editor-in-chief here at the IAB. We are doing this because one of the IAB's roles is to keep the industry connected, to keep the people in the industry connected. And we are going to start doing this daily here, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, and our first guest at our inaugural episode is IAB's own CEO, Randy Rothenberg. Randall, welcome to IAB There. Thank you, Brad. It's great to be here. I'm glad to be able to use my SAG-AFTRA announcer's voice again after a 25-year absence. Um, I love the fact that I'm both side-lit and I'm wearing pants. I'm glad that you're wearing pants and we could, we're all going to take that one on faith. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the result, this show. We've been wanting to do more things like this anyway, but this particular thing is the result of coronavirus, which and I've been racking my brains trying to think of this. I believe that this is the greatest disruption that we have experienced in our lifetimes. And I've been thinking about it, like thinking about comparisons so that with 9-11, there was that scary mystery quality where you know, we were waiting for the other shoe to drop. With the AIDS crisis in the 80s, you know, we didn't know how far to go this seems bigger somehow. And I just want to know what, 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 what comparisons come to your mind? I mean, there are none. Um, I, I think the closest you could come is possibly World War I in Great Britain, uh, where uh, giant chunks of, the, um, of society, young men, uh, went off to war and were killed. Um, and it had a devastating effect on the, uh, the UK economy, the English economy in particular, for generations thereafter. I mean, in the US, uh, everything else had, we either were dealing with uncertainty or we were dealing with gravity, but rarely both at the same time. Um, you know, 9-11 uh, uh, affected New York City. There were fears elsewhere, but it really didn't influence uh, other localities. Um, the crash of 87 uh, you know, certainly had a broad effect on the economy, but you were able to isolate the causes. The same thing with the, uh, the housing bubble uh, collapse. You were able to isolate the causes and figure out a way out in due order. I think none of us really know. In fact, none of us actually know how long this will last and what the impact uh, will be. There are positive scenarios uh, and there are dire scenarios. And I think the, the uncertainty uh, and the gravity together are kind of what makes it a little bit uh, you know, difficult to, uh, to wrap our arms around. It really wasn't limited to New York. 9-11 certainly had its focal point in New York, but at the time I was working at Earthlink and I was living in Los Angeles and we were all uh, roused and told that we were a target because of we were a communications nexus. The, the other big difference, I think, between 9-11 and now, less so, I think, with the, the housing bubble, is that we have, in this country, effectively 100% penetration of the internet. Everybody who wants to be online is online. And we have uh, extraordinary penetration of the mobile internet. So in addition to it being more mysterious uh, as an illness, we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know how it's going to end. 
but also we as a society are more connected than we've ever been before. And, and I wonder. It's a double-edged sword though. And I, I think we're, uh, we're seeing it. It's, you know, on the one hand, you have the ability to stay connected, uh, in particular connected to, uh, to family, uh, to friends, uh, to colleagues in direct ways, as we're doing right now, uh, that were not possible during those previous crises. Uh, but we're also seeing the, uh, the downside of these networks. Um, and one is that uh, false or simply inaccurate uh, information can flow alongside the accurate information. And also there's an effect, and I, I, I'm sure there's a, a psychological term for, uh, for this effect, where it can also, uh, uh, it can also amplify some of the, uh, the, the more negative feelings. Uh, like we, we, we can start reading ourselves into uh, edge, what are uh, otherwise edge cases. You know, the, uh, the 35 year old who dies from this, well, that's an edge case. It's, it, is, sure. it is completely atypical, but you start reading yourself into that. You know, whereas in a society that is less connected, that only has three or four uh, uh, broadcast television networks, um, it's a little bit easier for soothing voices to, uh, to calm the waters. Um, by and large, I would say uh, uh, we've seen for years and years, more connectivity is better, more access to more information is better, uh, more ability to, uh, to penetrate, to get to the, the, the nut of things is better. But we also have to recognize that we don't have the, uh, the soothing power of consistent unitary leadership uh, to help give us, uh, give us guidance. I also think that we've been you know, at a sort of heightened rhetorical place as a society for the last, certainly the last three years, but in general uh, with uh, the fragmentation of media that it's harder and harder uh, for any voice to be soothing. There's also something fascinating happening, which is, I mean, with journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. There's a phenomenon in, uh, in uh, behavioral economics called denominator neglect. And denominator neglect is where you, know, you have the numerators uh, of a fraction that's really terrifying and you entirely ignore the denominator. And so the worst case scenario that came out last week with the New York Times, with a wonderful piece of reporting, was uh, what a terrible story, a terrifying story, was that um, as many as 2.2 million Americans could die because of coronavirus. It's a terrifying number, but it's also a number that can be quite comforting quite quickly if you realize that we have a 327 million person population here. So the fatality rate from that dire scenario is less than 1%. Mm. Now with different populations, I think it's, it's going to be different, but, but we're, we're dealing with a heightened rhetoric, more connectivity for, for better or for worse. Um, I guess my next question would be, oh, actually, I want to take a break and just say we will be looking to Twitter uh, sort of at the tail end of this. And so if people want to tweet in questions or comments or, uh, or raspberries, um, my Twitter handle is my name. It's at Brad Behrens, B-R-A-D-B-E-R-E-N-S. Randy? Mine is um, at R2 Rothenberg. That is the uh, letter R, the number two, and Rothenberg. I won't spell it. I think we know it by this time. Uh, I'd love for you to talk with uh, the people joining us today about what IEB has done to respond to the coronavirus. We've done quite a bit, including this, but if you can walk us through what, what happened at the office and why. 
So uh, uh, internally, uh, we're shifting, uh, as everybody else has, to a complete uh, uh, virtual office setup. Um, I'd be very interested in uh, trading uh, facts and ideas from, uh, from our member companies on how they're keeping it together virtually, because I think this is one of those sets of best practices that are evolving every day, and we can only help each other by discovering what we're all doing. Uh, what we have done very, very simply is kind of doubled down on um, uh, uh, blue jeans and Zoom uh, as uh, our kind of mechanisms of choice to stay connected, although we're completely open to, uh, to other mechanisms as well. Um, we've asked um, each team to, uh, to check in every morning, circa 10 or 1030, conduct business over the course of the day, move our uh, member committee and council meetings and other kinds of gatherings uh, to virtual space on Zoom or BlueJeans. And then we as a leadership team, as you know, Brett, uh, check in uh, every afternoon between uh, five and six. And I'll tell you, uh, we've all shared this internally, but um, it's made for an extraordinarily efficient way of working. Uh, among us. I think we've all been surprised. I certainly have been surprised at the uh, efficiency and the effectiveness. Uh, this week is the week we're really moving whole hog to uh, to member meetings. I think we have Center of Excellence board meetings this week. Day, uh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, the CRO Council will be doing a pretty big meeting, I think, uh, next week. Um, Project REARC, uh, at least the uh, part of it led by the Tech Lab. A lot of the um, uh, the development activities and the recruitment activities from our member companies that's uh, taking place every day. Um, so we're living in virtual space. In terms of um, uh, of everything else, it's uh, we've really seen the role of the we've always seen the role of the IEB as being the convening organization for various segments of the industry and for the industry as a whole to get together across those, uh, across those uh, various segments. If anything, uh, we're looking at this as requiring us to double down on that value, to act as a convening point for our members to talk to each other, to uh, trade tips and practices and observations on everything from how are you dealing with selling in this unsettled sales environment to uh, uh, how are you preparing for the post cookies evolution of the web and everything in between? So um, we, we're, uh, we are still obviously communicating our, our own research, our own thought leadership, but, uh, but I think that's taking a bit of a slight second seat right now to bringing our members together to talk to each other and talk to their stakeholders. Speaking of research, we, we did launch uh, last week and we're going to be coming out of the field this week with what we're calling a quick pulse on the impact of coronavirus on spend. Sue Hogan, who's our SVP of research is, is leading that charge. Uh, those people who, many people who are our, our members have already seen the request to fill out the survey. We have a ton of results in and she's grinding through them. And uh, we're, we're trying to move very quickly to help capture snapshots of information uh, for the sake of our members and the industry and the world at large. Yes, yeah, so uh, we sent, uh, sent 20,000 uh, of those surveys out. So um, and our goal, as you know, because uh, you and Sue are leading it, um, our goal is to repeat this survey every couple of weeks. So we have an ongoing benchmark of uh, market sentiment 
as the uh, as the crisis goes on and, and and then as it begins to ebb. We're also talking about a bunch of other research that we'll be talking about both here and elsewhere uh, as, as the time permits. Um, can we talk about new fronts for a minute? That's another huge endeavor. I think you're well positioned to explain what we're attempting to do and, yes. uh, and why. So um, as we announced ooh, uh, last week, I think exactly a week ago, we're moving the, uh, the new fronts uh, into a complete virtual space. Um, we've been announcing the, de uh, the details as we've been uh, uh, bringing them online. We'll have more details again this week. Uh, we are still anticipating right now the new fronts uh, taking place at the end of April, beginning of May. Uh, would not be surprised if we push that a week or two. Uh, we'll be formally, uh, we have a meeting of the New Fronts presenting partners and uh, agency stakeholders uh, this afternoon, I believe. And we're going to be making a, uh, a set of formal decisions about the, uh, the timing then. Um, but I, I think it's also important to take a little bit of a step back from that because uh, this is probably going to be one of the permanent changes uh, we'll be seeing in the wake of this uh, of this crisis. I think the uh, and I think it's by the way something that will benefit um, every brand, every agency, every publisher, every intermediary uh, in the world. Um, uh, the new fronts and upfront season is based uh, fundamentally on uh, an old model of selling. In fact, I think the, the, new, the upfronts actually date to the 1970s. They're based on the, um, the way the, uh, the auto industry, uh, the auto industry's needs needed to be met in terms of its new model releases. That also coincided with the new uh, television season. So we evolved this model in the media marketing and agency industries uh, that had these annual live shows that then kicked off a series of live selling um, uh, negotiations. Uh, and New Fronts really kind of mimicked that. First, you know, the broadcast upfronts, then the cable upfronts mimicked it uh, in a uh, slightly different way. And then the New Fronts came into existence about nine, 10 years ago, and we mimicked it mimicked it also in a slightly different way. I think what we're going to see now is a permanent change where there will be far more of this kind of virtual uh, online distance uh, presentation, not necessarily replacing the live meetings, but definitely augmenting them and deepening them. I think we'll see a longer selling season, which kind of really matches the way uh, buying and selling and uh, brand needs and consumer needs really are uh, 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 really are today. Um, so it won't be limited to one specific point in time. Um, and it'll help uh, kind of elevate the discussions by allowing publishers in particular to go a lot deeper into their offerings, not just their new content offerings, but their product offerings, their technology offerings, and their service offerings. And uh, I think we'll be seeing agencies and other kinds of companies following suit. So this is, I, I think, the beginning of a, uh, of a very, very, very uh, big momentous change in the way uh, selling is done in the uh, media and marketing industries. I also think just breaking out of a bunch of live events in New York will be empowering 
smaller buyers or more geographically constrained people were suddenly, instead of having to either rely entirely on their media agency or plan an expensive trip to New York, they'll be able to log in from wherever they are in order to see what's there uh, and what might be the right fit for their company and their advertising campaign. Oh, yeah, so it's, I, it's exciting. I, 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 it, it, attendance at the new front will now go from approximately 10,000 people live to hundreds of thousands of people live, but in virtual space, and also being able to log on to uh, on-demand video uh, presentations. Uh, as you know, because you've been in the meetings, we've been saying, you know, look, uh, you know, for any given new frontier, maybe we'll get two or three people to come to New York from, uh, from Team One in uh, Los Angeles. Well, now the entirety of Team One will be able to tune in to the new fronts in real time. And I think uh, when, you, when you take that across the landscape from the, uh, the Team Ones and the RPAs in Los Angeles to brands like Conagra, in uh, in Chicago, Nebraska, yeah. and, and all that, the 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 ability of uh, uh, brands and agencies and publishers uh, to manage their own destiny and their own selling cycles um, according to their needs uh, and much more fully, I, I think, is an exciting prospect. I mean, as you, you and I have been saying, we've all been saying internally. It, it's become a cliche at this point. Uh, you should never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think this is going to be one of the good outcomes of this good crisis. We, were, we will find out. Uh, you mentioned the auto industry. I think that uh, I'd like to move on to you know, what can we predict are uh, short-term versus long-term changes. Uh, I think that, for example, we're going into some turbulent times economically. Uh, we've already seen a huge impact on the travel business, on airlines. Uh, I think that uh, we're likely to see, we've already, I mean, one of the things, as you know, that I, I formally led the Future Transportation Project at the Center for the Digital Future, we've already been seeing grave and interesting and fascinating changes in people's attitudes towards transportation and car buying in particular, which I know is a particular uh, passion of yours. Uh, I'm curious what you think the, the sectors that are going to be sort of short-term impacted, long-term impacted, I will start and just say that I think that in-home fitness is uh, likely to be something that is going to be a huge impact and benefit. I think that's to the detriment of gyms uh, everywhere. Um, I think the Peloton ad that was so notorious, I just uh, yeah. you know, turns out to have been brilliant uh, in retrospect. Um, I don't think pharma is going to have much trouble. Uh, I think that uh, but I do think I'm very worried about the auto industry. I'm concerned about travel and hospitality. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how the news business changes. We're already seeing a, a big uptake in people watching live television. Um, I subscribed to my local paper here in Portland, Oregon, after several years of not subscribing because they're doing a bang up job on covering coronavirus. And I thought, golly, you know, they need my 85 bucks. And so we resubscribed. Uh, what do you think the short, you know, short-term changes and indelible long-term changes in, in behavior and, as well, and in advertising behavior I, might I'm be? Pleased, I'm pleased to say I have absolutely no genius ideas here that, that, uh, that haven't been bandied about by others. Um, I think the, um, some of the things are obvious and they've kind of been obvious for a long time, but then this starts uh, kicking off. I mean, 
you know, uh, 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 distance fitness that that's been a that's been a trend on an upswing for a while. Um, this just makes it that much more uh, more relevant. Uh, I think for all the good that it might do Peloton, uh, I, I think there'll be far more people uh, rediscovering uh, what I do whenever I travel and I'm now doing at home, which is I'm doing my uh, 45 minutes of what we used to call calisthenics, uh, you know, here in my bedroom. Uh, you don't need to spend a lot of money on, uh, on Wi-Fi systems or exercise bikes or anything. You can pound the hell out of yourself just as well, you know, using a big rubber band. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, that clearly, I think this will obviously be, as others have said, a, uh, a turning point for both the SVOD and the AVOD businesses. Uh, you know, we used to call it OTT over the top television, whatever you want to call it. Um, this is going to give people a lot more of an opportunity to, uh, sample. Um, it's also going to, I think for that business, for the streaming video business, I think it's going to start, uh, pushing, uh, price sensitivity a lot earlier than people anticipated. So while there'll be a lot of experimentation, I also think people will be making a lot of choices here. Um, my guess has long been that, um, that price sensitivity in the streaming video space, consumer price sensitivity, was already approaching its limits and that there'll be a need for some of the, uh, the SVOD providers, in other words, streaming video on demand for a price subscription. Uh, uh, more of them will be moving to uh, advertising-based models, if not fully advertising-based then partially advertising-based. You know, what we've seen Amazon do, for example, by acquiring IMDB and then starting the IMDB network as an ad-supported network adjacent to Amazon Prime, I think we'll be seeing more of that going on in the media space. Um, I absolutely agree with you that this is um, uh, 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 forcing people to recall not just the value of journalism, but the value of local journalism. That's the point that you were making, yeah. I think was really astute. You want to know and you need to know what's going on in your local community. Um, I am without question served incredibly well by the New York Times and CNN, but I need somebody to tell me what's going on right here on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, as you need to know what's going on in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I think that will do well for the best uh, uh, news organizations, not just newspapers, I think uh, radio and television stations uh, with longstanding expertise in local journalism will also do well. And so will companies like Patch uh, mm. you know, uh, and others that have really been pioneers in taking local journalism and bringing it into uh, the digital space because we need it. Um, we should make a point, which I know we're going to be talking about in more depth uh, tomorrow with our new president, uh, David Cohen, and uh, one or more special guests. Um, I think uh, we should also point out that the stupidity that we're now seeing uh, of you know, advertisers and agencies using automated systems to block the news because the news of coronavirus is so bad. So they use these automatic uh, programmatic systems to put blockers on uh, keywords, which means that uh, two things, the most watched, the most read, the most consumed news of the day. Uh, and the most important. Most important is not getting advertising adjacent to it. So advertisers are losing the attention 
of uh, very interested consumers. And secondly, at exactly the moment the world needs real credible news more than ever, the, uh, uh, the, the financers of that news are backing away. Again, we'll be talking more about this uh, tomorrow, but I think it's a very, very important point that needs to be stressed over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. No, it bears repeating uh, time and again. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about sports. I'm not a big sports guy, uh, but I'm fascinated by the business of sports. And, and I'm wondering what is going to take the place of, of professional sports in the in the absence thereof, and I'm esports and our friends at Twitch, I think, have a big opportunity. Um, what else do you do? You think we'll be seeing classic, you know, classic games of of, uh, of yesteryear replayed with in in real time? Do you have any any guesses? I, I mean, uh, I, I I don't know. You've just stated what I think is the the most obvious outcome is that uh, that esports does quite well uh, with this. But you know, it's doing quite well without it as well. That's uh, true. You know, we had the uh, the CEO of uh, Twitch uh, gave one of the uh, the most powerful presentations at our annual leadership meeting uh, in February. In February, and I think it was an eye opener to uh, to a lot of folks in that audience that hadn't been paying attention to just how powerful and how large uh, a network like Twitch has grown, and it's just part of a much much larger phenomenon. So if you're not kind of aware of it, uh, or if you're not a participant in it. I think that kind of smacked you between the eyes. Uh, yeah, clearly, uh, clearly this grows. You know, as far as the rest of it, I, I have a bit of a contrarian uh, you know, point of view. Uh, the uh, uh, rights fees that the uh, the networks have been paying for uh, uh, for uh, 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 league broadcast rights in major league sports have been skyrocketing, like crazy skyrocketing. Yeah. E e e you know, even though viewership has aged and actually uh, in some sports declined. So you have this, this, this strange effect where if you kind of looked in the future, towards the future, uh, you could kind of reach the conclusion that at some point uh, the networks were no longer going to be able to afford these fees uh, and the, uh, the sports leagues would then not collapse, but they'd have to adjust to, uh, to different kinds of salary structures. I'm wondering whether this is forcing that, this will force that to happen on a more accelerated basis. Akin to what you were saying about the new fronts, which is we'll have evolutionary pressure uh, that are accelerating things the way they were going already. Yeah. So, well, let's you're, see. I, you're, you're, one, you're, your friend and my friend, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Cole from uh, USC, we've been discussing this, you know, with him. For years. For yes. Yeah. And I'm just very interested in what that's going to look like, because so much of the uh, uh, the linear television business has really been centered on sports uh, for a number of years, increasingly so, uh, despite some of the demographic trends and despite some of the competitive trends that we're seeing from esports. So, I, again, I wonder whether this kind of accelerates. It's not a reckoning as much as a, a moderation of the, uh, the, the, the economic relationships uh, that exist uh, between uh, broadcast media uh, and, um, and the sports leagues. 
I also think that we may have an interesting opportunity with collegiate sports because as colleges are moving online or you know, taking a break entirely, how you can gather school spirit. And so I'm wondering, will we, can, might we see the, uh, you know, the Oregon Ducks and uh, USC Trojans you know, competing in esports together and, and trying to find a virtual way of that, uh, that sort of incredibly important binding power that sports has uh, for, for colleges. So I'm, I'll be curious to see if anything happens there. Um, I do want to- re Reminds me of a scene either from, uh, from Office Space or from, uh, uh, or from another movie. And I, I'll, I'll remember it, I'm having a senior moment. It's not an Ed Wood movie though, I know that. Okay, well, that, that's a relief for some of us. Um, the, I wanna put in a, a good word for Project REARC, in which we came up earlier as we're winding down, and I'm gonna check Twitter in just a moment. Uh, we have our first webinar uh, that's sort of explaining Project REARC, which is this Thursday, the 26th. Can I, can you, can I, can you, can you do the, why this is something you can't leave to the technical people, ex explanation of what REARC is and how it's embedded with, with the other associations? Yeah, um, so we announced at our annual leadership meeting uh, in February, uh, the launch of what we're calling Project REARC, which is quite literally a, uh, a vast, hopefully cross-industry initiative to re-architect uh, internet digital marketing uh, to harmonize uh, the value of personalization and privacy and community. Uh, we think there's no turning back from any of those three. Uh, there will be no return to business as usual. So we have to do something. What, uh, and we kicked it into gear. Um, uh, IB and the Tech Lab have been working on the underpinnings of what we're now calling REARC for quite a long time, really for, uh, for two years and even longer if you look towards what the tech lab has been doing, especially around the acquisition of Digitrust. But then uh, Google announced a two-year time frame for the phasing out of the use of uh, third-party cookies in the Chrome browser. And that kind of put a time frame uh, onto it. So what we've been doing uh, is uh, reaching out to the other associations in our neighborhood uh, to try and uh, bring them in as co-owners uh, and co-managers of this project. Um, and the way we see it is that uh, it's so big, it has to take on multiple dimensions. The tech lab has already begun a lot of the technical work on what does digital marketing look like without third party cookies. So how can you do it? How can you get the value of personalized media and personalized advertising and personalized marketing communications without inflaming uh, or inciting privacy concerns. So that work is going on, but that needs to be complemented by a lot of other work. For example, business use cases. Uh, I think the, the simplest and starkest way for me to um, articulate this is, this is too important a topic to be left to the engineers and product developers. We need the major consumer facing businesses in the United States and around the world at a leadership level to understand that the foundations of how they communicate to their consumers are changing, period, full stop, changing in every way, and that they need to be able to take in this understanding and participate in Project REARC 
um, at a leadership level and also kind of, um, what's the word, secund to Project REARC, uh, their technical people um, to really participate both in helping us understand all the various business use cases that need to be adapted to, and then also get involved, sleeves rolled up with the tech lab in uh, developing the new technical standards and the applications that will animate those, uh, those standards and practices. So just let me put the good word in. Please go to iab.com, sign up for the first webinar, which is on the 26th. We'll have another one on the 31st. Where this is not going to go away, and it's important, uh, and you can learn a whole bunch about it really quickly. Yeah, let, let me say what, one other thing on that, Brad. Um, it was almost exactly a year ago when we started mobilizing the entire uh, marketing and media industries to, uh, to pay attention to uh, the California Consumer Privacy Act. We'd actually started a, a year earlier, but you couldn't get anybody, uh, anybody's attention because they were all suffering from uh, GDPR fatigue. A year ago, we said, CCPA is bearing down on this industry like a freight train everybody needs to get mobilized. And the way we started this was with a series of webinars simply to educate the industry on CCPA. And we did eight webinars uh, that drew, I think about uh, 1,500 people total. We're doing the same thing now with Project REARC, which if anything is 10 times the size, yeah. 10 times the importance of CCPA, because this is not just one piece of state legislation. This is the need to quite literally re-architect the entirety of digital marketing from the systems to the processes, to the organizations, to the individuals. That's what needs to happen. And so we're really hoping that the series of webinars that we're doing will get that same kind of turnout because we're going to need that level of participation if consumer marketing uh, and consumer delight and consumer stimulation and consumer information are allowed to continue. And we will continue to talk about that here and everywhere else. And again, IAB.com is the first stop, but not the only one to find out more information about this. Uh, as we wrap up, let me just, uh, I wanna, let's talk about the softer side of things for a moment. Um, I've been checking in on friends who live alone, right? Just picking up the phone and calling and seeing how they're doing. I think this is hardest for people who live alone. I think this is probably second hardest on people with very young children who don't understand why they can't see their friends or they can't see grandma. Um, you know, we're also taking time uh, in meetings at IAB just to, before we get down to business, just to say, how's everybody doing? Uh, so far, I have one friend with coronavirus, a dear friend in Australia who's recovering quickly. Um, what are you doing? How are you? Uh, how are you? One one friend said no elastic waistbands. Uh, you know, she's even if she's working from home. She's going to wear pants that have zippers and buttons, and you know, and not 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 be pajamas uh, pajama blockers. What, what, uh, you have the the bow tie. What else are you up to? Well, I'm not wearing the bow tie every day. I did it for you, and I did it for our guests, and um, I'll, I'll continue uh, as much as I can and as much as I remember to tie the bow tie. I do urge people uh, to learn to tie bow ties. By the way, this is the moment to uh, to do it. Uh, our YouTube tutorials. Yes, there there are many of them. Uh, I am making sure to work out every morning, uh, and I am uh, cooking almost every evening. Uh, my girlfriend Mickey is here in the other room, and uh, you know I'm, uh, I'm 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 cooking up a very simple storm uh, for her. Checking in, uh, my uh, siblings are all in the neighborhood. My 90 year old dad 
is in Fort Lee. Um, so we're checking in with each other by, um, uh, uh, by, by video chats. We've taught my dad how to do Zoom and how to do Skype. Um, and uh, that's actually working, uh, working pretty well. And, and the same thing, it's actually video chatting with friends. Uh, I, I, you know, we talked about permanent changes. This is the most obvious one. Uh, that thing that used to be the scientific miracle that we only knew from very futuristic Dick Tracy comic books, you know, the, uh, the, uh, sure. the, yeah, the apple. right. Um, yeah. Well, it's now, it's now grown so sophisticated and so seamless that we can do it. And so I think that this, this may end up being the death of the telephone call because uh, it's so hmm. much more effective and efficient to be able to, uh, to talk to people this way and, and, and see uh, when you can actually see somebody's face, um, there's no mistaking the intent of the words. Uh, I think we're, we're learning that uh, so well now that we may be moving to uh, a permanent video chat society. That uh, possible, although as they're driving and walking and things, I think also will continue to be uh, of some service. Um, so Randy, this is on our inaugural episode. Thank you so much. I'm gonna, let me just go to the credits here, which is I just want everyone to know that IEB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, and John Ward. Uh, I'm Brad Behrens. Uh, I will be your host again tomorrow. Please tune in, same bat time, same bat channel, 2 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for joining us at IB There.